Hi, I'm Jennifer Zollett. And I'm Larkin Bell. Welcome to our podcast, A Female Lens. This week, we're celebrating the women nominated for Academy Awards this year. Then, we interview actress Britt Rentschler about her recent film, Instant Family, which just wrapped a theatrical release and is available to watch on Amazon Prime tomorrow, February 19th. Stay tuned. This week on Women in Film in the News, we're chatting about the Academy Awards because they are happening next Sunday. Yay. Are you watching? That's the big question. (laughs) I mean, I think the Academy is probably wondering that too at this Mm -hmm. point. Um, (laughs) We're all wondering. Yeah. A lot of questions. (laughs) Um, So yeah, we're not, we're not super pumped about women not being included Mm -hmm. in the best director, the cinematography or the film editing categories. Um, yeah not pumped about that but we did want to recognize the women that are nominated in a lot of different categories and and chat about a couple of them because they are worth celebrating definitely you had some stats for this yes i have for this year's um awards right so it's exciting um well mildly exciting (laughs) this year uh 25% of the nominees in non-gender specific categories, so not best actress, best actor categories, um, were women. And that is slightly up from last year, where only 23.73% of the nominees were women in those same categories. So slight uptick. Mm -hmm. There's improvement. Yeah. Um, That's exciting. (laughs) We'll take it. Although we want more. We'll take it. Yes. Yes. Um... Yeah, and a couple that we wanted to mention. Mm-hmm. We wanted to shout out um, Domi Shi, who was the director for the short film Bao, which was uh, created uh, with Pixar. Right. And um, it's a great short film, so very exciting that it was nominated. And mm-hmm. she is the first female director for Pixar as well. Which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. And also... Yeah, kind of represented her Chinese-American mm-hmm. heritage mm-hmm. in a way that we hadn't really seen um, Pixar create before. Right. And you had the opportunity to watch the film. I did. And I heard it was really beautiful. It was awesome. Yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was great. It had a nice, surprising slash dark ending, which I cool. truly enjoyed. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure if it's available online anymore. But if it is, you should definitely check it Let's out. Let's go watch it. Yes. Another exciting announcement that I'm sure everyone is pretty aware of is... Yalitza Aparicio, hopefully I'm pronouncing it right, is the Oscars' first Indigenous Best Actress nominee, which is pretty huge when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was so wonderful in Roma, and I loved watching her performance. Um, and just hearing about her story of how the director cast her and um, how they found her is just fascinating and such a wonderful um representation of you know she's such an advocate for people following their dreams and Mm -hmm. how it's possible and you know wild things can happen yeah i read that he alfonso coron Mm -hmm. um who knows what the pronunciation there i'm not doing great (laughs) we're trying Um, yeah we're trying we're trying real hard um he looked for a year to find the actress to play that character is that correct i believe so 
Um, and he held a casting call in her hometown. Um, and I think originally her sister was supposed to audition for the role. And then somehow, for some reason, Yalitza ended up auditioning and she had never acted before. And he saw something in her and here we are wow. now she's nominated for what a story and a best journey. actress that's yeah. incredible so wow please go watch roma if you haven't yeah that's me that's directed towards me because <laughs> i didn't do that so thank you for that reminder <laughs> you're welcome um yay cool so yeah there are definitely some other amazing women um nominated for uh an oscar this year we'll uh include some links to check out in our Mm -hmm. show notes if you want to check out the complete list but i will definitely be supporting them on sunday if and when we decide to watch yeah happy oscar season (laughs) hey larkin you know what pairs really well with the female lens podcast Ooh, what uh wine duh Yes. (laughs) We're so excited to be sponsored by Vinovore, a wine and good shop with a focus on female winemakers located in Los Angeles, California. It's one of our fave spots in L.A. In addition to specialty wines, including organic, biodynamic, and natural options, Vinovore also offers the exclusive Wine Pack Wine Club, where members receive in-store discounts and choices of monthly wine packages starting at $35 per month. Mm, Yes. To support female winemakers, head over to the store in Los Angeles and pick up a fun bottle of wine like their Nasty Woman Progress Pink Rosé, or check out their website at vino-vore.com. That's vino-vore.com. And now here's our interview with Britt Rentschler. Britt is an actress and acting coach. She can be seen on screen in recurring roles on Six, The Resident, Shots Fired, Daytime Divas, and Good Behavior. We interviewed her just before the holidays during the release of her film, Instant Family, in which she plays a supporting role alongside Rose Byrne, Mark Wahlberg, and Octavia Spencer. Instant Family is available to watch on digital platforms starting tomorrow, February 19th. Enjoy. Uh, we want to start by hearing a little bit about your journey. You're an Alabama native, which mm-hmm. is kind of far from Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, growing up, did you always want to be an actress? And what, if anything, inspired you in your childhood to pursue acting? I did. I did always want to be an actor. Um, I think that's just the most straightforward answer I can give. I feel like there were a couple of diversions along the way. Like there was a moment in college where I kind of freaked out and was like, I need to be a lawyer. I would be really good at that and I would make a lot of money. Um, and my dad was actually the one who was like, um, I, I think you'd be really unhappy in law school. So I had like the, those moments, but for the most part, ever since I was a little kid, it was like the first school play that I did. I was like, yeah, no, I love this. I always wanted to be the narrator and like everything that we did in the classroom. I always wanted to be like the tour guide when we, it's just like all anything that was like me talking to people and connecting with people. I was just like in it. So there you go. And then I found out ways that you could do that. I felt like the idea of movie star or even what you did in a film or what you did on TV or even on stage, I didn't really understand uh, until people started to tell me. My aunt lived in New York, so she I got to go to Broadway shows, and I finally understood what that was about. And then um, I remember one of my parents' friends being like, oh, you look just like Natalie Wood. And I was like, I look just like Natalie Wood. Who is that? And then that was like my first introduction to knowing what a movie star was. And I just thought, oh, cool. Those people are doing those things in a really big way. But I just always wanted to be connecting with people with stories that just that grabbed me really early. You decided to get an MFA in theater. Mm -hmm. What provided the impulse to pursue grad school? And what was your aim for what would happen after graduation? 
Okay, so grad school uh, was a funny story. I feel like I really want to congratulate the people that give it a lot of thought and wait a lot of years to do it. Mine was more of a panic situation. I was finishing school and I had started school early. So I was finished with my uh, BA degree when I was 21. And I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I don't know what to do. And I feel like that happens in a lot of college programs. You train really hard. And I was, you know, I was so involved in my theater community and um, and the whole like college theater circuit and the competitions and all that stuff. And then the graduation day came and I was like, oh, I don't know what's happening. And we had a guest uh, professor that semester who directed me in a show and kind of saw me like wandering the hallway with this really weird look in my eye one day. And he was like, why don't you come to my office and talk to me for a second? And he was like, what's going on? And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing at all. And he just started to ask me questions. And ultimately what, by answering the questions very honestly, I didn't know what he was trying to do, but I figured out that I really loved academia. I really did. I always loved it. My parents were teachers and I felt really, I felt like if I could always be around what I loved and connecting with people who also loved it, that I would be really happy. So when we got to the bottom of that conversation, I thought, okay, grad school's for me because if I go to grad school, I know that no matter what, um, I'm in a position where I'm going to be teaching, I'm going to be reading, you know, that whole publish or perish thing sounded really awesome to me. I was like, wait, like people are going to like expect me to publish and always be researching and always be involved. Yeah, let's do that. And I always get to be around campus and like talking about, you know, scripts. And so that was kind of it for me. And his wife happened to be a professor at the University of Central Florida and I think their deadline had, it was about to pass for auditions. And just like very quickly the next day, he put me on tape and I did it like, you know, a couple of monologues and wrote an essay and took the GRE really fast. Um, and he was like, do really well on that. Cause like you gotta, and I was like, okay. But I just kind of ran in there and took it and I scored really well, which is great. And I got a scholarship to UCF and that's, and then I was just like, boop, I'm in grad school immediately. So I was finished with my master's when I was 24. Well, it's really interesting hearing about grad school and just your love of academia and teaching. And you have been such a great mentor at, like in career coaching and acting coaching to both of us. So we kind of want to know who has been your mentor or mentors and if you can share an experience where they really helped you when you were at a crossroads. Yeah, I mean, I... I have been so fortunate to have people show up for me at these really crucial times. I had, uh, Tad Ingram was the person that I mentioned that was the guest professor that just kind of saw me and kind of was like, hey, and asked the right questions to help get me on track. Um, and then there was an actor that I that I acted with, Darren Bridget, at, uh, at the Shakespeare Theater, who was like, I think you should try California because he was from California, so he had actually been here and knew what it was like. Um, there's like these little moments. So there's so many people that have dropped these beautiful blessings on my head as I've been in decision-making times. But I would say that my biggest mentor here in L.A. has been John Rosenfeld, who I work for now. Um, I met him and just immediately felt like we spoke the same language. He had also had an MFA. And what I really appreciate is that I had come from an MFA program where I was teaching 
you know, 200 seat lectures for intro to theater. I was teaching the beginning acting classes. I was given a lot of responsibility, even though I was only 22. Um, but I did, I did my job really well. I was a really good teacher and I loved doing it. And then I came out here and I was so proud of myself for having an MFA. And I went to a lot of, it like makes me emotional. Actually, I'm getting emotional right now thinking about it. Cause I went and took meetings and, you know, I was like, I have my MFA and people just kind of looked at me like, oh, you mean you wasted like three years of your youth <laughs> getting a degree that nobody cares about out here? Like you could have been, you know, trying to be a series regular. So John was the first person who I felt like looked at me and said, that is a huge accomplishment. And I don't care how young you are, you're going to teach at my studio. And he immediately put me in TAing with him and took me under his wing and saw that any of the hesitations I had about the film and TV world, because I like to be, I am so academically focused that I like to have all the information. And it just wasn't possible to get it all at the same time. You know, you can't know about getting into a room until you get into a room. And it can feel like this club that you're not allowed to be in, and in so many ways. And he, he knew that putting me in the classroom and, and focusing on what I did know and how I could help people and teaching me the techniques and the genres of TV and film and catching me up to date on that would give me the confidence to start showing up in the room as the actor that I deserve to be. Because when I first got here, this town made me feel really small, really small. And that was, he was really the reason that I started to feel like I belonged. When you talk about speaking the same language, I feel like I hear that phrase a lot when you Mm -hmm. find those like-minded people. Mm -hmm. What does that phrase mean to you? What are you looking for when you're like, this person Mm -hmm. gets it? I would say uh, for me, I don't know if this is like a... It's a very like, abstract question. No, it's a great one, though. I was thinking of synesthesia, which that, that's where people... Oh, yeah, see colors. See colors, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, for me, it's a texture thing, mm. and I don't know what the word might Ooh. be for that, but it's, it's, it's as if I hear a texture or a depth in the words that people use to speak about the script or the art that they're speaking of, and I connect with it. It's, it's like some, suddenly it doesn't sound... Uh, one note or hollow or one dimensional. It's like I can hear that they're saying about a hundred things at a time in one phrase, Mm. if that makes sense. Totally. Yeah. For me, it always feels like, oh, it's striking that right frequency that like hits my ear where I'm like, ooh, yeah, that's it. Yes. (laughs) And you know that that one thing actually means like so many other things and you go, oh, yes, we're, we're vibrating in the same place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that's what that means to me. Um, I think it's where a lot can be said with less words, but there's a lot of understanding. Mm -hmm. And I think you get those magical moments with directors or with colleagues um, where you're just like, oh, we're on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. The thrill of collaboration, really. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, one of the things we love most about you, Britt, is is your passion for learning Mm -hmm. and also like your commitment to creating and making your own work. That's, it seems like something that's been on your mind and something that you're committed to. Mm -hmm. Um, what do you set out to do when starting a project and what makes you excited about pursuing that? So I would say that I found my way into it once I realized that it delighted me to be able to tell stories that I really enjoyed. And in the spirit of collaboration, there was a lot to learn because in theater, I have stage managed, I know how to hang lights, I can run a soundboard, I can run a light board, I've done everything. And so I feel like I have so much to contribute 
But as an actor in film and television, I would watch all these people run around me and be like, I don't even know what they're doing. Like, I need to have so much more respect for the way that a set runs. And how can I do that if I don't know what's going on? So a part of creating projects was because I wanted to learn what everybody was doing. So I would say once my once my feelings got in the right place about why, like what there was to learn about it and how exciting it could be and that it was really another way to explore what I already loved about theater, then I got really into it. And then I got excited. And I think you just, for me anyway, I have to just stop thinking. I do not think about the end product. I don't think, well, it's got to go to these festivals and we've got to do that. And I'm not saying that that's a bad idea to have goals. I think it's great. If, if you feel really resonant and like your heart is like, oh my God, Tribeca has to be the thing, you should listen to that. But if you're doing it just because you think it's going to earn you accolades, then I would say you're probably setting yourself up for a pretty miserable. Well, we're so excited to go see Instant Family. Oh, we yay. know that's your huge news right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the film and the character that you play and what your experience was like working on the project? Totally. Um, so it's called Instant Family. It, it really is about an instant family. It's the director, Sean Anders. It's his real story. Um, he and his wife decided to... Actually, this is a great kind of tie-in with what we were just talking about. He and his wife, you know, he's a screenwriter, and he finally got to the point where he had sold a couple of scripts, and then he got to direct Daddy's Home and Daddy's Home 2. It was finally making money, and he and his wife were like, oh my God, like, we're in our 40s. Like, we missed it. Do we do it? Do we not do it? Like, do we have kids? And he kind of made a joke to his wife. He was like, yeah, well, if we have, like, a five-year-old... If we could just, like, adopt a five-year-old, it would be like, we, like, got cracking five years ago. And the next thing he knew, she had, like, a website open and was like, this is uh, a place who does foster care. And he was like, what? I was joking. And she was like, you were? They did it. They did it. And they fostered these kids. And and then, actually, they had a setback with um, three kids that they totally fell in love with. And then with the way the system works sometimes, it doesn't work out. And... Then they met another set of three um, brothers and sisters, oh and they gosh, adopted them. Wow. wow! It's beautiful. It's really beautiful. And so this movie, they wrote so that they could share the story. And the mm. entire thing about Instant Family is that all of the pre-screens have been for foster care families and adoptive families. Um, I've learned that the correct term is foster youth, mm. which I didn't know. I'm learning a lot of things about... Um, about that world and it's it's amazing and all of their social media out there you can see there's so many resources available if anybody wants to get involved in foster care or donations there's so much out there to do there's so many kids that don't have a home so this movie's awesome so Rose Byrne and Mark Wahlberg stepped up and we're like we're doing it and Octavia Spencer was actually the first person they had on board um, Sean said he went to meet with her and was like ready. He was so nervous. He had his pitch for her, you know, because you're putting together your movie and you're like, if nobody wants to do it, what are we going to do? Um, and she just sat down and was like, I love this movie. I want to do it. Oh, my God. <laughs> he was like, oh, okay, great. Oh, God, what do I say for the rest of this meeting now? This is crazy. But, you know, also seeing that vulnerability in someone who, from the outside, I'm just getting hired in to be like, oh, this guy's, like, got it going on. He's done all these big blockbuster movies with Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg. Like, and to see how nervous he was to pitch his film and, you know, how many places he went before Paramount gave it a home. And to see its success now. It's really funny and it's really fun, but it also 
sheds a lot of light on what happens in the foster care system. What was your experience shooting it? Like, how was the Everybody was so great. It was so great. It was so warm. And I think that on that just it trickles down from the top. The producers were there, you could tell, for just all of the right reasons. And Sean and John, his writing partner, were so awesome. And it just felt like a real family. And the first day on set, I was really nervous because I was like, oh, my God, this is like, these are big people that I'm working with. And I like walked up to set and there are chairs like all in a row. And it's like Mark Wahlberg, Rose Byrne, Britt Rentschler, Alan Rachel, Tom Segura, Julie Haggerty, Michael O'Keefe. And I was like, oh, what? Do I sit down? Do I stand up? What do I do? Do I talk to people? And Julie Haggerty, bless her heart, was standing like right next to me. And she looked over at me and she goes, I'm so nervous. It's the first day. I'm always nervous on the first day. And I was like, oh my God, if you, a like living legend, can be nervous on the first day and talk about it, how great is that? I guess that's my shortest way of saying what the experience was like. It was like a deep breath. How do you cultivate the patience and motivation to keep going? Mm, I meditate a lot. That's my biggest answer. And I... I know that can be something that people toss away, but I really feel like a meditation practice is so important because we live in a city, this city in particular, LA, um, that is so congested and there's so much traffic and we don't even realize how much tension we build up just crossing town. It's hard. And I know New York is also hard in so many different ways, um, but I can't really speak to that. But I would say just the day-to-day life of what we have to do you know, juggling, where's the money going to come from? Am I going to get an audition? If I get the audition, am I going to get the job? If I get the job, am I going to get paid this much or that much? Or will I get good billing? Or will I get fired? Or there's so much uncertainty to knock you off balance that if you don't find balance within yourself, I think you can't last. Have a really healthy sense of gratitude and you celebrate every victory. So I would say my perseverance plan is just like, what? Like, I'm going to keep showing up. I'm going to keep showing up. I'm going to stay as happy as I possibly can. I'm going to be really comfortable with when I have breakdowns, you know, and I'm going to nurse myself through them and I'm going to get back up and I'm going to keep trying it because this life is worth it to me. We are going to finish our interview and conversation uh, with a segment we call 321 Action. So for three, we've got our favorite, most influential or most powerful film. Gone with the Wind. Two, dream person you want to work with. Dream person? I mean, Meryl Streep, you guys, obviously. Uh, And one, what is the best advice you've ever received? Never, never, never give up. Action. What are you most looking forward to right now? I am most looking forward to going home for the holidays. I get to be with my family, and it's the greatest, most wonderful grounding experience. And where can people follow you? Twitter, at Burt Rentschler. It's very hard to spell. Everyone tried to get me to change my stage name, but I wouldn't do it. R-E-N-T-S-C-H-L-E-R. And then if you want to find me on Instagram, it is at Ophelia Grown Up. Ophelia, like the Shakespeare character, grown up as in if she didn't die because the patriarchy crushed her. <laughs> and on that note, wow. Thank Amazing. you so much, Rit. This was a great conversation. We really appreciate you taking the time. Awesome. Thank you for having me. You can find us at afemalelens.com and at afemalelens on Instagram and Twitter. 
You can email us at afemalelens at gmail.com. And you can download the show anywhere you listen to podcasts and on Apple Podcasts, where we'd love it if you left us a review. Our theme song was composed by Jesse Nelson. Our logos are by Megan Cafferty. This podcast is produced by Jennifer Zollett and Larkin Bell.